we're going to talk a little bit about brokenness. Um, a lot of it's going to come from Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, and then Psalms 51, 1 through 19. I, uh, I thought I would get colorful with my, my PowerPoint, so it shows up. I don't know how well you're going to be able to read it, but, you know, that's what you get for trying to be colorful instead of just black and white. Uh, to begin with, I'm going to read a poem that I found online that is entitled, or it's titled Brokenness by Deborah Ann Belka. Brokenness is a spiritual gift God has given to each of us. It's in the times we are crushed that our hearts to Him adjust. Though it may be painful, it's something we must go through. When it's time to look in the mirror, our, our sinfulness He brings to view. It is not a pretty picture. When you look, you'll see the cracks. But it's God's way for you to see what your spirit truly lacks. Once you look beyond the figure that is staring you in the face, you'll begin to see the reasons you need His saving grace. I have looked in that mirror and saw my own flawed condition. I saw how my sin and pride kept me from full submission. Yes, brokenness is a spiritual gift given so that we may come to see the reflection of our Lord and Savior in the hearts of you and me. She wrote that in this uh, uh, Second Corinthians ch chapter 3, verse 18. This was her inspiration for that poem. But we all, with unavailed face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We can all relate to that poem, can't we? Because we've, we've all sinned. We're all broken because we have sinned. But fortunately, we have God's grace and love to keep us together. I know we don't usually see brokenness as a good thing. Usually we break something at the house and you either try to fix it or you leave it alone, just don't mess with it. You know, it just kind of sits there. You throw it away or you replace it. But luckily, when it comes to our lives, God doesn't throw us away or try to replace us. He either lets us stay broken or he, he fixes us. But it's our choice. We have you know, the freedom of choice of uh, whether we're going to follow what God says or we're not. So we can, either seek, we can either not seek God and stay broken, or we can seek Him and let Him fix our lives. You see, God wants us to see parts of our lives that are broken, so that we can welcome His healing instead of denying that we need His healing. Because brokenness in His eyes is to be broken, crushed, and torn in spirit over sin. And I think we have a, uh, a good example of that in, uh, with David in 2 Samuel verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 1-13, through 13, and then, like I said, Psalms um, 51, 1-19. through 19. But we're going to look first at chapter 11 there in 2 Samuel. Uh, we have the story of David and Bathsheba. I'm not going to read the whole, that whole chapter. Uh, I'm going to give just a short explanation of that chapter. But basically, David sees Bathsheba washing herself, so bathing. He inquires about her. He has her brought to him. He lays with her. She gets pregnant. Then David arranges for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to die while at battle. David ends up taking Bathsheba as his wife, and she bears him a son. 
As you could imagine, the Lord was displeased with this. Very much so displeased the Lord. So then we get to chapter 12, where the Lord sends Nathan to rebuke David. And again, I'm I'm not going to read... one through thirteen. I'm kind of just going to give an explanation of it. I do encourage you to go read these two chapters. Uh, they are interesting. Um, just things that I read that I, I I found interesting in it. Once you get through the rest of it, um, but like I said, we're going to stick with one through thirteen. You read the whole chapter. There's more things that happened uh, that I think that uh, would be beneficial to you. Um. So David, there in chapter 12, the Lord sends Nathan to rebuke David. He tells him a parable of two men in one city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except for this little lamb. He raised up up together with his children. Uh, He loved that lamb. Uh, The poor man loved it like a daughter. One day this traveler comes to the rich man, and the rich man, rather than take a lamb out of one of his many flocks or herds, decides to take the poor man's lamb and dress it for the stranger. Nathan tells David this parable, and and David becomes very angry. It says uh, in verse 5, his anger was greatly kindled against the man, and says the man that has done this needs to die. Along with it, the lamb needs to be restored fourfold because he had no pity. But then, uh, there comes the bombshell. Nathan turns to David and he says, you're that guy. That's you. You've done this. You're the rich man in this parable. You did this very thing with Bathsheba. You had everything you you could have ever wanted or needed, but you chose to despise the commandment of the Lord to do evil. You had Uriah killed and took his wife to be your wife. And here in verse 9, When then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. Can you imagine being there when Nathan confronted David about this? Maybe, perhaps, panic arose in David's heart as he realized that Nathan was there to talk to him about his his secret sin. Maybe it was hard for him to breathe when he when Nathan's blunt honesty vocalized his guilt. You know, I can picture the blood draining from his face, his heart pumping wildly. I can imagine it being hard for him to swallow and his palms becoming slick and and uh, him being nervous and his his palms being getting sweaty as shame washed over him. Maybe he grew stiff. Maybe he got fidgety. Maybe you know. Maybe he was tearful. I don't know exactly what David's initial response was to Nathan's confrontation of his sin, but I do know that he came to a point of confession and acceptance of his wrongdoing. You think about how long David has lived with this sin up to this point. It's been somewhere around nine months since David lay with Bathsheba in this confrontation with Nathan. We know it's been at least that long because she's bare a son. So he's lived with that for... Like I said, nine months. And as far as I can read, um, he hadn't really shown any remorse or anything for it. David's only recorded response in this passage is found in a simple phrase, I have sinned against the Lord. 
And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. David, a man after God's own heart, a warrior with his band of mighty men, the greatest king to ever reign over Israel. And here we find him, his larger-than-life status diminished, his great attributes of the limelight, his sin highlighted, the man we rightfully respect and look to as an example in our Christian lives is a sinner. He's just like the rest of us. He's a sinner. David in this moment has been reduced to a liar, an adulterer, and a murderer. When God said in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, the way of the transgressor is hard, no one was excluded from that principle, not even David, one of the greatest men to ever live. And in Psalms 51, we get a peek into that. We get a little insight to David's sorrow and his confession to the Lord. We see a man truly broken by his transgression. We see it in a man who cries out to the Lord for mercy, who knows that he has no hope outside of who God is. Psalms chapter, chapter 51, verses 1 through 2. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him, after he had gone into Bathsheba, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly, from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. We see it in a man whose sin looms largely in his mind, reminding him again and again of his humanity and failure. Verses 3 through 6, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Will you see it in a man whose greatest desire in this moment is just to be clean again, just to have his ugliness erased, just to be pure, just to be forgiven and restored to his precious friendship with the Lord, and is asking the only one capable to accomplish it. Verses 7 through 11. Actually, it's 7 through 15. Purge me. Purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken, my, broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not the Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and behold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou, thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. We see it in a man who would do anything to get back to an unhindered relationship with the Lord except that he knows he can't do anything about it. 
He can't do it. It's not within his power to right his wrong. Verses 16 through 19. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine heart. We see it in a man who says this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. What the Lord desires is a broken spirit. David knew something that we need to understand. God doesn't want us as sinners to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and try harder. He doesn't want us to feed our pride by making things right. Nor does he simply want sadness and sorrow over the consequences and pain our sin brings to us. He wants spiritual brokenness. The kind of brokenness that he can use. He wants godly sorrow that leads to repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Sin can make us desperate. And out of that desperation, out of grief and the hurt of a fractured heart over sin, God longs to produce humility in us. It's humility that allows us to recognize, as David did, who God is and who we are in comparison with Him. It's humility that sets us up to come to grips with our sin. You know, the reason that brokenness is, is beautiful is because of how God can use it in our lives. It's something that can draw us near to Him. Near to him. Brokenness can make room for a contrite heart and repentance to bring us back into fellowship with Him when we have failed miserably. It's not lovely in and of itself. It's not the end of the journey. Standing alone, it's messy and sad. But with God, the beauty and spiritual brokenness is found in where it brings us. Because true brokenness is a tool by which God brings His wandering sheep back into His loving arms. If you think about times whenever you felt really broken in your life, you, whether it's been hard times or just sometimes maybe we mentally get in our heads and we feel like I'm not worth anything or... or what can I do for the Lord? And those times that we really get down on our knees and we pray to the Lord, you know, fix me. Something's wrong. But I think we need to remember to do that. Sometimes we let ourselves get down and get broken and we don't go to the ultimate healer to heal ourselves. And we continue to go down a deep, dark hole and, and don't come out of it. We can't come out of it on our own. We can only come out of it through the Lord and through spiritual brokenness. We think we can't do something to further the kingdom because we're not where we want to be as a Christian. Or, or maybe you're not a Christian today because you think you're not where you want to be morally before accepting Christ in your life and being baptized. You know, For some reason, we have this mindset that God's love is our reward for a positive change in our lives. But let me tell you something. God has always and will always love you. 
God, God's love is not the reward for our change. God's love God's love is a resource for our change. He's the only one that can fix our brokenness. It was His love for us that sent Jesus to the cross to die for our sins, for our brokenness. Do you feel broken today? Have you been holding on to sin? Maybe some, some deep, deep sin that's a, a secret sin that nobody really knows about that's kept you from connecting with God? Are you ready for healing? It's time to give everything to God. Confess those things to Him that have held you back. Let God take your brokenness and, and make it into something beautiful. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.